May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and keep your whole spirit, soul, and body blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's sermon text is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So far of God's holy word. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, dear fellow redeemed. I received a phone call some time ago. I received a phone call at 1 o'clock in the morning. I stumbled out of bed and answered the phone, and the person speaking was a woman who was desperate. A desperate woman who had had a falling out with the people in her household and had been left in town where she wandered until she ended up in the parking lot of a local business in a steady rain and it was cold and she had nowhere to go. So I woke my wife to tell her I would be leaving and I went out to that parking lot and I picked her up. And she was terribly distraught, had nowhere to stay. I didn't want to bring a stranger into my home where my wife was, would make her uncomfortable. So I took her to the church. Took her to the church, found a place within the church to set up some bedding, went up to the house, got some dry clothing, came back down, made sure she was comfortable, found a different room in the church to spend the night myself so she wouldn't have to be 
feel at ease alone in the church. And by the next day, was able to get her some breakfast and cleaned up. Later that day, found her a motel to stay for the night. And by the following day, she had reconciled with her family and had a place to stay. And why am I telling you all this story? So that you can sit back and think, oh, Pastor Nauman, you're just like the Good Samaritan. No, that's not the reason. Because in fact, I am not like the Good Samaritan that Jesus described, and neither are you. Now, perhaps from time to time, I could be described as a pretty good Samaritan, sometimes, but there's a big difference between the Good Samaritan and a pretty good Samaritan. And in the course of this parable, if we concentrate on the man to whom Jesus was speaking, we'll see exactly what that difference is. The difference is found in the reason why Jesus told this story. And here's a hint. The reason why Jesus told this story was not to take people who are pretty good Samaritans and help them to become better Samaritans. At least that's not the main reason. The real reason was to show this lawyer and the people listening and to us today the thought in the words of our theme. The pretty good Samaritan just doesn't cut it with God. Just doesn't. Because God's standards are so high and holy, when Jesus says, do this, we die. And we must. But when Jesus says, done, we live. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about the curious beginning of this story of the Good Samaritan? It's curious because this man, this Jewish lawyer, and by the way, it means an expert of the Old Testament Bible, this Jewish lawyer came to Jesus and asked him a very basic question. What good thing should I do to inherit eternal life? Now just imagine for a moment that someone found out you were a practicing Christian and asked you that question. Out of the blue, someone asks, I've often wondered what happens after I die. What should I do if I want to get to heaven? I have no doubt what your answer would be. It would be something like this. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus did for you. We put our trust in the Savior who died for us and rose again. And you'd be correct. That's the right answer. And you might even remember to quote Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus did for you. Isn't it remarkable then? Isn't it pretty curious that someone asked Jesus that question and his answer was, keep the commandments, do this, and you will live. A certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this. Do this and you will live. 
Why in the world, when asked that question, would Jesus say, keep the commandments? That won't work. Well, Jesus had his reasons, and it had to do with the person who asked the question. Let's review, shall we? The man who came to Jesus and asked the question, he was a Jewish man. And to understand Jesus' intent, we have to remember how the Jews felt about the Samaritans and vice versa. They were mortal enemies. The people living to the north of Jerusalem in the land of Samaria, they were of mixed culture, mixed race. They claimed to worship the Lord, but they also worshiped pagan gods. They had a rival temple, rivaling Jerusalem, the seat of where God's name was to be proclaimed. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They tried to avoid traveling through their country. They would never speak to a Samaritan. They certainly wouldn't eat with one. The Jews thought coming into contact with a Samaritan would make them religiously unclean. And perhaps the best insight as to how the Jews felt about the Samaritans was when they really wanted to call Jesus a bad name one time. The scribes and Pharisees says, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Using that name almost as a curse word. This man was a Jew. The Samaritans were his natural-born enemies. He was a lawyer, not like a courtroom lawyer, but a Bible expert, an expert who wasn't looking for more information when he asked Jesus a question. He was looking for a way to trip Jesus up in his words. He was a Jewish lawyer who was a hypocrite, like the scribes and Pharisees. They vaunted their own holiness as an example to others, as if to say, my life is like this shiny apple, and I'm always looking for a way to put a little more polish on it. He was a hypocrite who didn't want to look lame by asking his initial question. He asked, what good thing should I do? Jesus had him recite a couple of Bible verses. Jesus said, that's right, do this and you will live. So he had to step back. He had to backtrack a little bit to come up with a follow-up question. And his follow-up question was, and who is my neighbor? As if to say, okay, I have to love my neighbor as myself. But that doesn't mean everybody does it. And that's the table that was set before Jesus told the story. You know the story, but let's look at it again, shall we? Asking, what would we have expected to happen between natural allies? What actually happened between natural enemies? Because, of course, there was a man who, without doubt, was a Jewish man from Jerusalem traveling to Jericho. He's set upon by thieves. He's mugged. He's stripped. He's beaten to within an, within an inch of his life. He's left by the road to die. He's bleeding out. He's going to die. And along came a priest, a fellow Jewish man. If anybody should have been moved to stop and help this man, it should have been him. Here's my fellow countrymen in terrible distress, and I'm the one who knows I'm supposed to love God with all my being and love my neighbor as myself. But he found a reason to go to the other side of the road and hurry on by. Then came a Levite, one of the special tribe of the Jews dedicated to the service of God's temple. Likewise, 
He should have been expected, certainly, to see this man in his distress and offer whatever help he could. But he again went to the other side of the road, passed by. Why did they do so? Was it because of perceived danger about other robbers? Was it because they had urgent business? Was it because they just didn't want to be bothered? We're not told. But they certainly did not help. Then comes the least likely candidate to offer any service at all because a Samaritan comes by and he sees the man bleeding out in the ditch, but it's a Jewish man. And if the roles were reversed, it's almost certain this Jewish man would have hated him and passed by. But he's moved with compassion. He yearns on the inside at the helplessness of this man, and he stops and he gives and he gives and he gives. He takes of his own bandages, oil, and wine to dress the man's wounds. He no doubt had been riding his beast of burden, a donkey, but he puts the injured man on his own pack animal, and he walks, and he brings him to the inn, and he finds room for him there and personally cares for him with his injuries. And when it's time for him to go the next day, to me this is the most touching part of the story, he tells the innkeeper, here's two denarii, two full day's wages. Take care of him in my absence. And if you spend anything more, put it on my tab. That's the story of the good Samaritan and his actions towards someone who was his natural-born enemy. And in this way, Jesus led the lawyer to answer his own question. Remember the question? And who is my neighbor? Not everybody, is it? Verse 36, Jesus asked, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do. Go and do likewise. Achieve that high standard of love for your fellow man, no matter who he is, that I've described just here. Don't just love those who love you back. Don't help and serve even mere strangers. Love your enemies with a real love. It's something Jesus pointed out plainly in Luke chapter 6. He said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. So when Jesus says do this, and he does so seriously to that lawyer and to us, he means it. He means it in every sense of the word. Love God with everything you have all the time. Be as much concerned about other people's well-being, even your enemies, as you are about your own. He says, do this, and we die. We die because we don't. We die because we can't. And no matter how shiny our little apple is on the outside, well, it doesn't matter if the Word of God cuts into it and we see the wormy rot on the inside of our sin and selfishness, and it's there. Listen, do you sometimes show kindness to others without expectation of being repaid? 
I'm sure you do. I'm sure there's plenty of examples in the lives of everyone listening today. But do you always show loving self-sacrifice and kindness, even to your enemies, from your heart? Ah, there's the worm in the apple, isn't there? Because the pretty good Samaritan doesn't cut it with God. Let's bring it home with an example, shall we? Can you imagine you work in a workplace where there are dozens of other employees and somebody starts a vicious, untrue rumor about you on purpose, it reaches the ears of your boss and you're fired. You're unemployed. But this person is so vile and vindictive, they're not satisfied with that. They plant incriminating evidence in your car and call the police. And you're convicted. And you're in jail. And that person's not satisfied with that. They go to mock and taunt your family about the fact that you're a crook and make your life just as miserable as they can. And once you're out of jail and you find that this person contracted terminal cancer and is lying weak and ill in bed in the hospital, what is your attitude, seriously? Do you start the GoFundMe page? Do you try to be of help and service to his loved ones? Do you try to bring him comfort as he lies weak and ill? Or do you think, well, that's just desserts, isn't it? That guy got what he's got coming to him. The very least of which, it's none of my business, I'll let it alone. But really, I'm thinking, good riddance to him. He made his bed, let him lie in it. Now wait. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And he means it. And anything less is not good enough. And we don't need some theoretical unlikely example to illustrate the point. Because in your interaction with people in your own household, how many times have you ever thought, I give and give and give without any thanks. I'm tired of it. It's somebody else's turn. You have, and I have, and it's part of sin that dwells within. And it really illustrates the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. His expectations are sky high. And not only do we have sins we commit, but we have the expectations that we do not meet. Thank God, Paul goes on. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, it would all be quite hopeless because we're sometimes pretty good Samaritans. None of us is the good Samaritan. We're going to have to rely on the original the ultimate good Samaritan, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who loved everyone, in particular his enemies, with the genuine love of understanding and purpose. Only he had compassion when you were lying by the side of the road, bleeding out, helpless in your sin and bound for destruction. He didn't have to. No one's forcing him. But he took of himself, he had compassion, and he bound up your wounds by taking them on himself, because that's what had to happen. He had to take your wounds 
and take them to Calvary's cross, your sin and guilt, and pay for it there. And he was willing to do that for you and your sin, a natural-born enemy. He brought healing to you, healing in your soul that leads to life eternal, and he carried you. He carries you each day on this journey as we walk toward eternal life. And he's the one who said, put it on my account. Heavenly Father, that helpless sinner, they'd be lost. Put it on my tab. And the Lord did when he died for us and rose again. He was able to do so. He was willing to do so. He said as much in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So yes, he seriously says, do this. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself without fail, even your enemies. We need to turn to him when he said, done. When from the cross he said, it is finished. When he became for us, righteousness from God in our account. Paul said exactly that. In 1 Corinthians 1, of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do this and you die. You have to. It's called repentance. Done lifts you up in God's grace to life eternal. And so our trust is not in our acts of mercy toward other people as pretty good Samaritans. Our trust is not in any of our works at all, but in Christ, who had compassion, who heals and carries us. <clears throat> Say, remember that one o'clock in the morning phone call story? I'd like to tell you another one. Not as good. I had a call from a man who had been living from day to day in a cheap motel with his wife. He wasn't able to find employment, his wife had medical problems, suffering from seizures. Could I possibly help? Could our church possibly help? So I went to meet him and his wife, and I bought an overnight's motel stay and provided some gift card for groceries for them and spoke about sin and grace, Jesus, and what the Bible teaches us and invited them to get together to talk more about God and his word and left them. A couple days later, I got another phone call. It went to voicemail. <clears throat> the same man, and he said, we're still struggling. We still need uh, another couple nights stay in this motel, and I've called 20 other churches, and nobody wants to help. I didn't answer him. I didn't answer him. It was the 20 other churches that made me think cynically, there are plenty of people who just want to take advantage of church charity, and that's not the business we're in. Was I right to be so cynical? Was this man and his wife not interested in things of God's word at all, but only in a handout? Perhaps. We may never know because I didn't answer the calls or texts after that. I'm just trying to illustrate, and you can think of examples in your own life. Well, sometimes we're pretty good Samaritans. Not like Jesus. Not like Jesus at all. Jesus says, do this, love your neighbor as yourself, even your enemies, I fail, so do you. But Jesus never failed. 
and he never fails in his healing compassion for us. With the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. And the more we get to know the compassion and healing love of this Savior and how faithful he is, the better we'll know his love in our lives and the more we'll want to put into practice God's direction in 1 John 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.